Good morning, do take a seat. I thought for a moment as Jonathan was praying then that he was going to pray for Newcastle United. <laughs> but uh, he didn't, and that's probably, that's probably just as well. But uh, let's, let's bow our heads and pray now. Our Heavenly Father, please speak to us now by your Spirit, through your living word, in Jesus' name. Amen. How to enter the kingdom, that is uh, my title this morning, and that is the issue for us as we make a start on our new series in Luke's Gospel leading up towards Easter. It's called Living Under the Cross, and uh, this morning we're looking at two encounters that Jesus had, the first with young children, and the second with a rich ruler, and uh, you can see both of those encounters there in Luke 18, verses 15 to 30, that we heard uh, uh, a minute or two ago, and that's on page 877 in the Bibles. These are two very different encounters, but they're linked by this issue of how to enter the kingdom of God. So Jesus says in verse 17, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And then after his exchange with the rich ruler, Jesus says, this is down in uh, verse 24, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. So it's the kingdom of God and how to enter it that ties both of these two incidents together. Just to back up for a moment, where have we got to in Jesus' ministry? The closest disciples around Jesus have realized that he is the Messiah, God's anointed king. Jesus has warned them that the road to glory lies through suffering and they do not get that, he has set his face towards Jerusalem, where he knows he will die, and he is slowly making his way there. But Jesus is teaching all the time, and wherever he goes, the crowds swirl around, and so there are all kinds of interruptions to his journey, including these incidents we are looking at. So take a look then at what happened. Luke 18, verse 15. Now they were bringing even infants to him, that he might touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. Why did those disciples try to prevent these parents and tell them off for trying to get through to Jesus with their infants? Presumably because Jesus was busy and hard-pressed, and in their eyes, these children were not worth bothering Jesus with. So how does Jesus react? Verse 16, but Jesus called them to him. That must be the infants with their parents. But Jesus called them to him, saying, let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Now this is a scene to melt even the hardest hearts, don't you think? So moving to watch in our mind's eye these little children gathered around Jesus. Mark, in his account of this, adds a little bit more detail. He says, this is in Mark 10, 16, 
And Jesus took the infants in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. It's very easy to jump to the, to the conclusion that this is really all about Jesus' attitude to children. So J.C. Ryle, famous Bishop J.C. Ryle, says that this passage is a strong testimony of our Lord Jesus Christ's care for little children. There is a deep significance in this rebuke of those who would keep infants from him. And that is surely right. But look again at verse 17, whereas this incident comes to a climax. Jesus says, truly I say to you, So he's saying, listen hard, I'm about to tell you what I really want you to learn from this. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. So in the end, this is not about children. These infants are living visual aids for something Jesus is teaching. This is about our relationship to the kingdom of God, as is the next encounter with the rich ruler. So here are four questions that we need to answer if we're going to get to grips with what's going on here. First of all, what is the kingdom of God? Secondly, what does it mean to have the kingdom of God? Thirdly, how do we not receive the kingdom of God? And fourthly, how do we receive the kingdom of God? So let's think about each of those in turn. So first of all, what is the kingdom of God? Well, the first thing to realize about the kingdom of God is that it's hard to think of anything that is more central to what Jesus taught, all that he taught. So Luke reports in chapter 4, back in chapter 4, verse 43, how Jesus summed up his teaching and preaching as about the good news of the kingdom of God. What then is the kingdom? Well, I have for a long time now found it very helpful a Graham Goldsworthy's summary of what the Bible tells us on this. It's worth getting this into our heads. It is that the kingdom of God is God's people in God's place under God's rule. It is the people of God, his family, his adopted children, living in the perfect place that he has created and set aside for them to be their home, under his just and merciful and loving rule. Four things need to be said in addition to that. First of all, this is an eternal kingdom. Our eternal life is to be part of God's kingdom forever. Secondly, this tells us what it means to be blessed. Because this is what we were made for, to be part of his glorious kingdom. Thirdly, though it is an eternal kingdom, it has already begun. It began with the coming of Jesus into the world, and it is growing as more and more people receive him by faith as their Lord and their Savior. And fourthly, and key to understanding the kingdom, is, of course, that the the king of the kingdom is Jesus. Jesus is the king. So when Jesus arrived into the world... The king of the kingdom had arrived. And this king is both powerful and also humble. His road to glory and his eternal reign as king was through the cross. He is the crucified and risen king. And he went to the cross 
to pay for the sins of his people with his own blood. He bought us with his blood. And he adopts us into his family and brings us into his kingdom by giving us his spirit, even when we are dead in our sins and enemies of God, helpless and hopeless. What is the kingdom of God? It is God's people in God's place, under God's rule, by the grace of God, through the crucified and risen King, Jesus, the Son of God the Father. So that's question number one. The next is this. So secondly, what then does it mean to have the kingdom of God? And I ask that because Jesus uses this very striking language here. He says of these children, to such belongs the kingdom of God. And he says, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. So in some sense, the kingdom of God can belong to us. We can receive it. We can have the kingdom of God. It can be ours. And that becomes true of us when we enter the kingdom. We enter the kingdom when, by grace, through faith, we become one of God's people, in God's place, under God's rule, bought by the blood of Jesus, our sins paid for and forgiven, lived in by his Spirit, and beginning to experience all of his promised eternal blessings. And to pile blessing upon blessings, not only do we enjoy all the privileges of subjects of this glorious King, we share the rule and the ownership of his kingdom. He shares that with us. This is mind-blowing, but true. We become heirs of the kingdom, sharing in the glory of Jesus and in the rule of his eternal kingdom. Our little grandchildren, Ezra and Phoebe, live in a very nice home in Fenham. In fact, it's just had an excellent new loft extension. The house costs a lot of money, a great deal more than Ezra and Phoebe have, not least because they have none. It was bought by their parents, Ben and Sophie. Ezra and Phoebe paid nothing. How could they? They are five and three. But they live there. And they are right to say, this is our home. So it is with us and all the glories of the kingdom of God. That's what it means for the kingdom of God to belong to us. It's all by grace. It's a gift. So that brings me to my third question. How do we not receive the kingdom of God? That's what's at the heart of this meeting between the rich ruler and Jesus. So there are two vital questions asked here in this incident. First of all, in verse 18, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's what the rich ruler asks Jesus. And then secondly, the question from the disciples down in verse 26, then who can be saved? So that first vital question is the crucial question asked by this rich young man. Matthew's gospel tells us he was young. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus makes clear that inheriting eternal life is another way of talking about entering into the kingdom of God. 
So here is a man who thinks in terms of the bottom line, a businessman, if you like. If he wants something, the first thing that comes into his mind is, what does it cost? And the next thing he thinks is, is that a good price? He is a sensible, rational man, and he wants to make a sound investment. Now, this young man knows that money is not everything. He knows that there are issues of eternity that count when he is totting up his assets and liabilities. So he is no secular atheist. His question is not, is there eternal life? It's, what must I do to get it? Nowadays, he'd probably come to church. Maybe he's in a home group or a Christianity Explored group. He's keenly interested but he wants to know the price before he buys. Now, this rich man's question raises two further questions that go right to the heart of the matter. And the first is this. Who is this Jesus who he's talking to? Good teacher. The ruler begins. But Jesus challenges the man there in verse 19. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. It is Jesus, the Son of God, not Jesus, a good teacher, who is talking to the rich ruler. And the second question this raises is simply this. What do we have to do then if we're going to enter the kingdom of God? And Jesus answers that by saying in verse 20, you know the commandments. In effect, he's saying, be perfect. And with astonishing lack of self-awareness, the man says, in effect, I have been. Verse 21, all these I have kept from my youth. But Jesus knows better, and he digs up the root of the man's idolatrous life. His idol is wealth. And the choice that faces him is simple. Who or what will be his God? Jesus or his very great possessions? Verses 22 and 23. When he heard these things, uh, when Jesus heard this, back to verse 22, when Jesus heard this, He said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. The man took a look at his invest, uh, this uh, investment proposition that was being offered to him. He got out his new notebook computer, as it were, ran it through his spreadsheet. No deal. Just not worth it. Too expensive. Leave it for someone else. Looks good, having the kingdom, but money in the bank looks better. And he turned his back on Jesus and walked away. I hope he changed his mind. He thought he was sophisticated, but he had just fallen for the world's biggest con trick. Nothing 
is worth hanging on to if it means losing Jesus. What do we have to do if we're going to enter the kingdom of God? Be perfect. Only such are the depths of our idolatry and sin that we cannot get within a million miles of perfection. The rich ruler walks away. Where does that leave us? While the disciples are watching all of this, and in near despair, they ask the second vital question, which is there in verse 26. Then who can be saved? None of us can be saved. None of us can enter the kingdom if it relies on us. The price of entry into the kingdom is way beyond us. Then who can be saved? Verse 27, but Jesus said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Which brings us back to those little children in the arms of Jesus. So fourthly, How do we receive the kingdom of God? Now let's just remind ourselves again of what's at stake here. When we have entered the kingdom of God, we belong to God. We live under the powerful and loving rule of Jesus our King. We are adopted as God's children. We are indwelt by his Holy Spirit. We are destined for the new creation, which will be our perfect home for all eternity with no sin, no Satan, no suffering and no death. So our whole eternal destiny hangs on receiving this kingdom. How then do we enter it? There is only one way. Like a child. That is the simple lesson that Jesus is hammering home here. Like a child. Back to verse 17. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. So how did those infants receive that staggeringly wonderful blessing direct from the heart and hands and by the touch, the very touch of the Son of God himself? Jesus lifted them into his arms. He looked out for them. He swept aside all the hindrances and the objections and the rebukes. He loved them. He lifted them into his arms and blessed them. He did it, not them. What did they do? Nothing. They were just on the receiving end of it all. They may or may not have lifted their arms as Jesus took their little bodies into his strong hands. It was all a gift. They had nothing to offer. They could do nothing. Vivian and I have raised three children, Ben, our eldest, and then our twin daughters, Hannah and Katie. But you forget what it's like when they're very young. And now we have these two little grandchildren living in in Fenham. And let me tell you the thing that came home to me afresh and with great force watching little Ezra and Phoebe as babies. It's this. They were completely helpless. Even now, age five and three, they are totally and utterly dependent on Sophie and Ben, their mother and father. They pour out their love on Ezra and Phoebe They give them 
everything. And what do Ezra and Phoebe do in return? Not a thing, except create work for their parents. They just receive, and they love their mom and dad back. That is how we receive the kingdom of God, like a little child with total trust, lifting our hands to be taken into the arms of Jesus, receiving all his blessings, and loving him back. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Or in the words of the great old hymn we're going to end with, forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the cross of Christ my God. Let's bow our heads to pray. Lord Jesus, by your amazing grace, teach us, we pray, to receive your kingdom like a little child. Amen.